At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome on to the 15 and 60 Eastern Conference style. A lot of interesting teams, a lot of surprising teams in this conference that we have to get to. Reminder, Monday, Hawks Sixers, 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific for the NBA cast on NBA League Pass this week. Join us for that one. And let's just get right into it here, Danny, with the Atlanta Hawks. And we'll also talk about the Charlotte Hornets in this too, since they played an interesting game last night. Yeah, they did. And um, so some some good and some bad injury news for the Hawks. We'll start with the positive. Onyeko well, Kongwu we, we and Tony. Their, uh, their overall stats. Oh yeah, let's actually start there. Uh, the Hawks are four and five. They are sixth in net rating, plus four point four. Seventh in offense, sixteenth in defense. Five thirty eight projects that they will win thirty five games. Raptor gives them a sixty percent chance of making the playoffs. Elo gives them a nineteen percent chance of making the playoffs. Uh, now we get to the injury news. Uh, Onyeko Kongwu and Tony Snell practiced and did five on five on Friday, so those guys are getting closer. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, during the aforementioned game against the Hornets, Bogdan Bogdanovich suffered a, a knee injury, and the most recent thing I heard was Lloyd Pierce saying that he expects he'll be out a while. We haven't heard a definitive diagnosis or timetable as of when we're recording this. Yeah, that was really ugly. Out near midcourt, he got bumped a little bit and fouled, then tripped over his own foot, had his right leg out in front of him after that, and simultaneously hyperextended his knee and twisted his right ankle. I thought it was an ankle injury at first and and then it turned out that it was a knee injury that they focused on so hopefully this isn't anything severe enough to where it's going to require surgery or result in him missing a big part of the season you know hopefully it's just kind of a lower grade knee sprain or something like that Uh, but that really highlights a larger trend which is the Hawks are getting absolutely nothing from any of these new players that they sent Bogdanovich is the one they gotten the most out of and he had had hit had a couple of big three-point shooting games but he'd been a little disappointing and other than that it's basically been last year's team plus some Clint Capella mixed in. Yeah, and so there are some some real positives there just because the Hawks have been yeah. somewhat successful and it has been, you know, that they've been carried by these guys that they hope are a, a brighter part of their future. However, there are also some signs. I mean, we, so I mentioned they were 16th on defense. A part of the reason they're 16th on defense is because opponents cannot make a shot against them. And even after, I believe this, I believe that the status after the Charlotte game, when Charlotte shot 15 of 33 from three, Hawks opponents are still shooting about 30 percent from long distance on the season yeah that's basically right at the bottom of the league and usually over the course of a full season you won't see a team's opponent shoot worse than 33 34 percent and there's not really any reason to believe even that for these games that are upcoming that it'll be any different than just average and you know and it really takes probably until halfway through a normal season for the percentage that opponents 
opponents are shooting have any predictive value at all and, and that's even pretty limited there's a limited evidence that's obviously one of the big debates in basketball analytics circles is whether you really over the course of the long term can affect opponent three-point percentage or not but certainly whether you can a little bit or not a the atlanta hawks don't seem like one of those teams that's like oh man they got these incredible athletes closing out on people and b you're not gonna stay at 30 percent all year so look for the defense to regress a little bit here and also worth noting that the guys that they're missing aren't really like defensive players <laughs> right I mean, I mean chris dunn is but we don't know how much true. of yeah. how much of the rotation he's gonna be in rondo i i mean i will we'll have to see but um but something that i that impressed well, me well, what, one more thing on these guys too sure. before we get more specific and they were four and one they had that great win over uh the brooklyn nets to push it to four and one and actually they beat them twice in a row right and so and the second one was, was no they, uh, they split those game. games the nets won the first one. Oh yeah all right sorry so but yeah that yeah the first one was that crazy like 145 to 141 game um but then the hawks won the second one and since then they've lost now four straight and part of that has been the injuries part of that has been that trey young really has fallen off his free throw attempt rate was probably unsustainably high uh but then there was also just this overall drama where trey young had a kind of kobe bryant-esque protest game it seemed like last week in their first game against the hornets i want to say it was where he only took seven shot attempts he still had a bunch of turnovers and then there was reporting from chris kirshner and sam amick of the athletic after that that trey had been called out in a film session by john collins for not getting others involved enough and so it seemed like trey was kind of like well all right let's see what happens when i'm not involved enough and and honestly i'm with trey here a little bit because you know they were third in offense and he was playing really well and john collins has his own issues obviously he wants to get paid uh for this season he did not sign a contract extension and john collins doesn't get many chances to like you know post up or or attack or anything on his own and, and he has his own individual stats that haven't been unbelievable so far this season but then like apparently john like tried to talk to him during that game and trey just like sloughed him off and then trey had another bad game uh, against charlotte here too and uh, his overall stats right now he started off so well but he's only taking 5.6 threes a game which is a pretty low number and he's only shooting 28 percent from downtown and from two he's 47 percent uh that floater hasn't been going down as much as it had in recent years and so it's really only been 10.3 free throw attempts per game shooting 88 percent that's kept his numbers up uh where they wanted to be so sorry that was a long diatribe there but i think we with the first 15 and 60 we wanted to kind of yeah. take stock of some of those larger stories and and paint that picture something i did like about the hawks in that saturday loss to the hornets was that they took advantage of one of their competitive advantages in that one which was size remember the hornets are playing without cody zeller so bismack biombo is really the only center they have on roster so the hawks bludgeon them 17 well, offensive well they have in they actually have two centers on roster uh but nick richards and vernon carey jr are absolutely stapled to the bench right now. yeah that i guess that's true centers that are capable of playing nba minutes on roster. <laughs> yes, um yeah. but so the hawks were able to create some some point second chance points and be able to do that but i to me the biggest story in this one from atlanta's perspective was just i mean from because there are plenty we'll talk about from the hornets perspective was just that i don't think they're i don't think their defense 
is is up to snuff no i I mean it's it's gonna be a struggle there and trey young really got targeted in this game and these hornets actually have some aspects of them that are pretty difficult to stop because they have with the way terry rosier has started the season and you know Devontae graham obviously hasn't shot it well we'll talk more about that but he's still a guy who's gonna run pick and roll and needs to get guarded so their attempts to hide trey young they tried to hide him on lamella ball and lamella ball absolutely torched him uh again we'll talk more about that in the charlotte section uh pierce has changed up the rotation he used to bring trey young in for three stints and have him in at the start of the second quarter going against backups they changed that up now just gave him kind of a six minute rest uh played him in two stints maybe that was in response to some of the drama that they've had um what else stuck out to you from that game oh i mean we've talked about it a couple of times but the the foul that they called on capellas it basically seems like whether you you i think you tweeted something to this effect where whether it was in the points of education or not the gortat moving screen is now called an illegal screen yeah no it's uh we mentioned that with the celtics uh, as well i think they got thomas bryant on that uh, at one point earlier this year uh, as well um yeah you mentioned the hawks offensive rebounds in this game they just were getting a ton of them they had 17 and just weren't actually really converting them into second chance points that's something that the broadcast highlighted uh and one thing i'll say about trey where he was five of five from the foul line but five of 19 from the field only 15 points 10 assists in this one is if and again subjectively just watching it they didn't seem like they ran as much pick and roll for him that wasn't kind of the the usual put the ball in his hands every time kevin durant talked about this when he first got to the warriors and he was asked why he wasn't getting to the foul line as much and he said something interesting which was well i'm not getting the ball in isolation as much and so it's kind of harder to concentrate on drawing fouls which it it occurred to me that if you don't have the ball as much as you're used to that you kind of don't want to like quote unquote waste a possession trying to draw a foul which i mean obviously and you can just kind of get into a rhythm where there's a yin and yang you can use your foul drawing as a constraint where you get you know that the guy you just did something so the guy's gonna be over aggressive to take that away and then you can draw fouls so if you're not getting quite as many reps maybe it can be a little bit harder to draw fouls that's just something to watch a little bit here but obviously this hawks team you know that four and one start seems so much further away right now and they seem to be kind of settling in as this 500-ish group and until they can get back to being healthy get gallo and bogdanovich healthy you know i'm uh starting to get a little bit worried about this team here well and especially if you look ahead to who they're playing now monday's game against the sixers we'll see who's available for for philadelphia in that one but phoenix utah portland right after that like those all on the road if just in for travel purposes and other stuff it kind of matters but i mean utah is one of the few teams with a persistent home court advantage due to the elevation and then later in the month they play milwaukee and the the clippers and the nets should have their guys back by then so i could imagine you know we had talked earlier in the season i I mean in the preseason about potentially lloyd pierce being the first coach fired and we're like you know it's if the season goes soured i could see travis like going in that direction as kind of a way to keep things together and when they started four and one we're like okay well it's going to be somebody else it's going to be ryan saunders or any any, anybody else now i actually think starting hot and then potentially sinking from there might hurt lloyd pierce's chances more than if they had just been a middling team from the beginning well and also if there's more of this interpersonal strife yes that's getting out in the media as well so yeah they they got to turn around here you mentioned the tough stretch coming up and how quickly things change right when from there are four one is like oh man you took the hawks under as one of your best bets that's looking pretty dumb and now that they've lost four straight again i will caution however in this crazy season we are gonna see some swings and it's uh so much of it is just gonna depend on injuries and who can stay covid free and all that let's turn
turn now to the charlotte hornets though and they are now five and five they are on a, a nice little streak still negative 2.6 net rating that's 23rd in the nba offense they are 25th and 14th somehow in defense that's a big surprise seeing that because they seem like more of an offensively oriented teams uh they do project for that coveted 10th seeds however with 29 wins 19 percent chance of the playoffs per raptor but 46 percent per elo and uh, i'll tell you what man especially if these guys are going against a not great defensive team turn them on they were really they've been yes. really really fun and lamello ball has been awesome so far this season i think way ahead of schedule in a lot of areas yeah and i i'm not gonna say it culminated but i would say maybe the the recent high point lamello on saturday became the youngest player to record a triple double 22 points on 9 of 13 from the field 3 of 5 from 3 12 rebounds 11 assists and it wasn't hollow stats he contributed heavily to his team winning the game their the hornets bench was better than the starters and then of course he played he played a key role when it was competitive as well yeah now lamello overall it's not his overall numbers are not amazing and he might be shooting it a little bit better from three than you might expect but 54 percent true shooting that's a little bit below league average but he's doing so much more defensive rebound rate has been outstanding that's how he got the triple double and his playmaking obviously has been the best and just some of the plays that he made this beautiful left-handed no look pass to a cutting terry rozier uh is this behind the back pass that he threw to pj washington for a three just so casual out of pick and roll and his handle is so tight and just the ball is like in his hand so often that he's just because he dribbles so quickly and so easily that he's able to just whip these passes you know with just a flick of the wrist before the defense even knows that it's coming like if you, that that behind the back pass was awesome and i just he kind of reminds me a little bit be he's just such a natural and he has so many moves and not necessarily all of them go anywhere yet uh, as a dribbler i mean you'll just see him just kind of for fun just be dribbling between his legs all the time just for no real reason kind of hot dogging a little bit but I, I'm, I'm fine with that but he he's almost like a choreographed martial arts fighter just the way he flows from one move to another uh he also had this beautiful one-legged step back that was kind of a, of that variety and you know he always has another move ready like the, there's always a counter there's always another one like a, a lot of guys can put one move together maybe two and then they just got to go whereas the lamello always has some other thing that he can try and not all of these are effective he's still kind of learning what to do at the nba level uh but it looks really cool i i, I certainly recommend watching it and he's starting to get the three-pointer going as well now particularly as a spot-up guy that's looked really good he had a couple of pretty sweet step backs in this game against atlanta well, and, and and something yeah. that i like as a parallel between lamello and lonzo is that especially when they're when they're not starting the possession with the ball it doesn't really stick with them much i think that lamello makes he makes pretty quick decisions not not he'll get faster too but but th that idea of when the ball comes to you figuring out what you need to do very quickly is such a competitive advantage in the nba because that prevents the defense from fully recovering absolutely if he's at the top of the key when guys drive they kick it out to him great pass fakes great drives or he can shoot the ball he really keeps the ball moving once someone else uh, has created an advantage and they against the hawks he, he was really effective out of those types of situations uh what else did you have from this game against atlanta oh from this game so i was going to move into Devonte. um well yeah all right well we could talk about Devonte too because he was yeah so he was one out of five in this game too yeah there has there has been a a drumbeat that is getting louder in charlotte circles 
struggles to to start LaMelo, and in part that is because of the struggles of Devontae Graham. Graham was such a breakout star last year and has really struggled. It looked like he might be turning the corner, had a couple of, had, had three double-digit scoring games, but still hasn't been efficient. Devontae Graham only has more points than field goal times, not even shooting possessions. Three times in the 10 games he's played, 42% true shooting on about 19% usage. That's a big usage drop from last year, partially due to the Hornets having different personnel now. And he's so, so Graham is playing a smaller role within the offense, but that's not, remember we said he was over, kind of overburdened last year just because the Hornets were so, had so little talent. But the big problem is that Devontae Graham is shooting 30% on threes and 21% on two pointers. Yeah, John Schumann noted this before the Hawks game that he was four of 27, 15% in the paint, in the paint. used uh, And granted, last year he was, you know, in the 39% from two range. He really struggles to finish, but, and he still can pass the ball. You know, that part of his game is intact, but with Hayward here and LaMelo here and also Terry Rozier uh, becoming a really nice part of the offense uh, as a spot up shooter and even running off some screens. He's had a, a very, very nice year, by the way, for every, everyone who is killing that contract. Uh, Terry Rozier has certainly been worth it so far this season, but yeah, Devontae just has not been able to make the ball go in the basket. And this is a problem. I don't know what the tenor of the contract extension talks were between the two sides before this year, but if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be, you know, solidly in that backup point guard type of a level. As far as starting LaMelo over Graham, I, I kind of like what LaMelo has brought off the bench. And I like that there's still a way to hold him accountable. And I think they're playing reasonably well. So I'm okay with LaMelo not starting. I think just given his background, having that cudgel of playing time and bringing him off the bench so he doesn't get kind of his head doesn't get too big early on I I don't mind that as a long-term development project but no I think we are getting pretty close to the point here at least I mean certainly LaMelo has played better than him through 10 games I mean that's inarguable yeah and so I I was thinking in the before the season started that if things went well in the February March range for LaMelo to potentially take a starting role then you get you get plenty of sample of him playing with the Hornets best players and a part of the LaMelo ball experiment that I think could be really useful it's a part of why I was so high on him as a prospect is that if you want LaMelo Ball handling your op- running your offense, that's totally fine. You don't need him to defend opposing ones. And so I think there could be some more creative ways to play all of their guys together. And you have the ball handling of Gordon Hayward as well, of course, when he's available. So... I don't know exactly what like their best five looks like, but at least having LaMelo having that size at 6'8 makes a few more things possible. Like maybe you play Rozier as the smallest guy and then you have Hayward and and LaMelo running most of the offense. Yeah, also it'd be remiss in not discussing Terry Rozier's ridiculous dunk in that Hawks game. And then the even more ridiculous one, which was the top 10 on the the NBA uh, top 10 list last night was uh, Caleb Martin coming down the lane and absolutely crushing it. Uh, Martin is the scoring one of the Martin twins. Uh, by the way, Co- Cody Martin is the more defensive oriented And And one. Cody Martin's the one who spent some time on Trey Young in this game. Yeah. So, but rotation wise, they basically are playing PJ Washington at backup center. And that is a very difficult lineup to stop when you have him at center and either Bridges at the four who shot it better this year and has made nice plays as a cutter. He's got a good chemistry with LaMelo. Or if they even go with all four of their best perimeter guys in Washington at center, they're not going to stop anyone with that group either. So, 
I'm surprised that they are as low as they are in defense still. You know, I think part of that could be Graham's struggles. And as much as they have like playmaking and scoring, you know, nobody really, none of these perimeter guys are getting up towards that magical 60% true shooting level yet. And hey, Hayward's been okay, uh, you know, but he's hasn't been a $30 million player yet. So let's uh, turn to, uh, and we won't spend quite as much time on all these teams here, uh, but uh, since I, I, I thought- And, and that's also why we typically alternate going from top to bottom to bottom to top of the alphabet is so that then when we start going faster, then we'll go faster on the other teams. Yeah, well, um, uh, so let's go uh, with the Boston Celtics here. Yeah, Hayward's former team is seven and three, uh, plus 3.4 net rating is good for ninth, eighth in offense, 18th in defense, 538 projects them to win 46 games, which would be tied for first in the Eastern Conference. They're making the playoffs. Um, but they are the first team where we get to have an extended conversation about player unavailability due to COVID. Jason Tatum is going to miss 10 to 14 days due to health and safety protocols. Robert Williams tested positive and has been asymptomatic. And then Tristan Thompson and Grant Williams are out at least seven days due to contact tracing. Yeah, it would indicate that Tatum probably tested positive as well. Uh, and in fact, Bradley Beal of the Wizards also had to be out because he had a close conversation with him after the game was over. Those are both uh, St. Louis guys, obviously, uh, who know each other well because of that um the good news is at least that Kemba Walker is getting closer he's started practicing with the team but they're going to take it slow per Adam Himmelsbach uh but supposedly the intention is for him to return on Friday against Orlando as of now but keep an eye on if that changes because that would I mean remember this is seems like it's kind of a degenerative type of condition with Walker and so if he starts getting swelling as he ramps up his activity which it seems like what has happened to him a number of times previously that's obviously a concern but not a concern is the awesome season that Jalen Braun is having so far yeah absolutely and so uh go through some of the efficiency and top line numbers first to kind of set the table for this Jalen Brown for the season 24.5 PER 63% true shooting on 29 usage um and 17 assist percentage that's basketball references version of the stat those are all career highs PER true shooting usage assist um if you want counting stats 26 points six rebounds 3.5 assists in 35 minutes per game other than rebounding those are all career highs now there's definitely something unsustainable here because brown is shooting 42 percent from three 59 percent from two including 63 percent on long twos you might remember we i think we talked about that earlier in the season just the ridiculous percentage he was shooting on long twos but even with all that he's shooting the best numbers of his career at the rim and from floater range and so for me the way the way that i'm thinking about this especially with him taking on more of a like a a self-creation role that even if some of this needs to regress to the mean there is still a significantly better player here than there was before and that is far more important than oh the top the the top line stats are crazy right now in this small sample yeah if you just think of the structure of their offense there's a concern right we lost Gordon Hayward and Kemba has been out so who can we give the ball to who's going to be able to create and Jalen Brown has been able to do that so far and yeah he's not going to continue this insane shooting from mid-range uh but as long as he can continue to be reasonably efficient and a guy that you know because they're really even when Walker comes back and Tatum comes back they're only going to really have three of these guys when they're at full strength but that's enough uh if you and two probably isn't uh, especially if one of them is Walker is going to be managed very closely this season so just the the overall ball handling of Brown back in the draft process I was actually very impressed by his handle a lot of people said he has to get his handle a lot better and that was true like he really needed to tighten up it was a very inconsistent handle but he also had a very reactive handle and a creative handle and I think we're starting to see that more now now that he's tightened up his game that he's not just like you know he, he would make some 
some great plays you know with some really nice like in and out dribbles and stuff but then he would lose it on a lot of occasions and now he's been a lot better with that and it has continued to show the shake that we've seen before like he's had some moments where with crossovers and creative moves where he's really been able to create separation this season jason tatum has been 4.8 possessions per game as an isolation score but still has really struggled he's really has never had good numbers as an ISO guy 0.73 points per possession so far despite being fifth in the league in terms of the number of ISO possessions so teams that switch him that generally has been a pretty good strategy when he can get into pick and roll and get downhill that looks a lot better for him and obviously I mean the big shot that he really wants to get to is that off the dribble three-pointer but we won't be seeing Jason Tatum for some time unfortunately here uh anything else to talk about with these guys Uh, a couple quick things so beyond feeling good about winning six of their last seven including a series a series of them against capable opposition the other kind of good news as it were for the celtics is that they have all these players that are absent right now a lot of them for about a week this is a pretty manageable part of the year to me missing them they are playing miami later on sunday but then chicago orlando twice in the knicks and so yeah i mean orlando and the knicks have outperformed expectations so far we'll talk about them later but this isn't this isn't some sort of group where oh they're those become no chancer games with all of these players out now it's going to be very difficult as we've seen with other teams but maybe they can pick one or two of those and then they'll have players back for when for when things get a little feistier in a week or two uh but we can move on to the brooklyn nets a team that is going through their own absences the nets are five and five still third in net rating at plus 6.8 ninth in offense fourth in defense 538 projects that they win 40 games which would be fourth in the east and 86 percent chance of being playoffs per raptor 69 percent per elo for sunday's game against the thunder which has not yet happened as we're recording this Kyrie is questionable due to those personal issues that are that have caused him to miss the last couple of games. Tyler Johnson is out due to health and safety protocols, but Kevin Durant is probable for a game against his former team, the Thunder. Yeah, good to see uh, KD going to be able to come back here. And Kyrie, I, you know, the available indications are that it was due to the events at the Capitol last week that made him feel like he needed to take some personal time. And I mean, honestly, when something like that happens, I'm very loath to take any kind of position on like whether that's okay or not. You really only know what's going on in some people's heads. And with DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love and Kyrie, I mean, there are a lot of players who have been very upfront about some of the issues that are that players face. And you know, if if Kyrie needs to take that time, it's not going to sink the Brooklyn Nets season. This is this is a weird year. So I, I'm for those who have criticized him for that, I'm a, a little bit loath to do it. But uh, in this time with Kyrie mostly out and KD out that has been Karis LeVert's uh, chance to shine here yeah, we, we wondered about Karis LeVert's place within these nets with Kyrie, KD, and Spencer Dinwiddie. And then all three of those guys are out at the same time. So Karis LeVert's gotten the chance to be kind of, as I would put it, the solo starter. And he has been productive. 39, or sorry, 31 points, nine assists in his three games as a starter. And respectable efficiency, 55% true shooting on a ridiculous 37% usage. And so the nets have needed somebody to do that. Also worth noting that the nets have, they won one of those games that's stunning win they had against Philly on Thursday and then they lost twice against Memphis one of those was earlier in the season but those are the three games that Levert has has started um 
And so it, it, the positive is that he has been able to keep them a little bit more afloat than I expected. However, Levert is continuing to struggle coming off the bench. 46% true shooting in those appearances. And I, so I don't, that doesn't necessarily make me feel that much better about Levert because he basically the bet, the best case scenario that we've seen so far with Levert, it's sort of similar to Zach Levine. I've talked about this before, which is he's better with the ball in his hands, but he's not better enough to make that what you want to do. And so that's why I've felt that he's, you know, he, he's kind of over, he's simultaneously over and under qualified for different things. And that's okay with Brooklyn. They generally are going to have so many good players that it's not a big problem, but it is in terms of the Nets theoretically using Karis Levert to get something talented back. But the good thing for them is most people probably don't see it the way I do. Yeah. One thing for Levert that's been disappointing is only 17% free throw rate. That's something that could really enable him to get to the polymore. What has not been disappointing for Levert is he's probably been this team's best passer 36 percent assist percentage and he's definitely capable of setting guys up and pick and roll a little bit more than Kyrie Irving is we noted that KD had a has had a really nice passing season as well and just to give you some top line numbers by the way uh interestingly enough because of all the absences this team actually has three guys with a usage percentage higher than 30 Levert it's amazing and Durant and Obviously, in games where all three of them play, that's not going to be the case. <clears throat> but this was p- part of the reason to be a little more bullish on the Nets was the idea that they had guys who could soak up possessions. Unfortunately, one of those guys is out for the year as of now. And KD, still looking pretty good for, in numbers-wise, 66% true shooting. If you had to point to anything that might be slightly worrisome as far as comparing him to previous years, you know, he is shooting 45% from three, which it, that's not going to sustain. Obviously, and he's only taking 14% of his shots at the rim although he's uh making a ton of those that's that's early um the free throw rate for KD is still very high though 50% free throw rate so obviously with his free throw shooting that's something that will be really helpful he could probably give you a little bit more on the defensive glass than he has but nothing in his statistical profile yet you know I know a few people have said he's only played six games that he has one of the most difficult shot profiles in the league in terms of like the second spectrum metrics like how contested he is on his shots but he he also happens to be seven feet tall with a really high release and one of the best difficult shot makers ever. So it's one of the, yeah. w- there's actually one other thing I want to track and we're dealing with a small sample size here and all all of them from what I recall have been very memorable, but Durant only has five credited dunks on the season and that's basically 6% of his shots. That's a little bit lower than earlier, but you yeah. talked about his not getting to the basket. So I want to keep an eye on that. Yeah. Last thing on these guys, uh, KD and Kyrie have both been awesome on ISOs, but they're not doing too many of these, only about seven combined per game. Uh, both of them are, are isoing about 14% of their possessions. KD, 1.14 points per possession, which is awesome. And Kyrie Irving is 1.42 points per possession so Jesus. far in ISO. Both those numbers almost certainly will come down, uh, particularly Kyrie, but shows you that they've been pretty darn effective. And with the level of shooting that the Nets can put around them, uh, they are very difficult to stop in isolation. Let's go to the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls are 4-5 and five on the season. They are 27th in net rating, negative 5.9, 17th in offense, 28th in defense. 538 projects them to win 24 games, which would be tied for 13th in the East. Raptor gives them a 4% chance of making the playoffs, and ELO gives them a 10% chance. And my kind of big picture stance on the Bulls is that those first three games... I, I, you know, they, they obviously count in terms of everything and they're one third of the Bulls season so far. So you can think about how that affects net rating and everything else. They, yeah, they, those, 
games were very dispiriting. There were two ass kickings, and then they lost to that Warriors team without without Draymond Green. That you know the Warriors have been more competitive since, but at that point they were pretty weak. And so it was all like it was gloom, very gloom and doom, especially after the Hawks game on on opening night. But since they got some of their veterans back, remember they're also missing some guys still. Um, I think they've been totally respectable. So since then, uh, four and three, two of their losses were close. The Kings game, and then the Lakers, which was close all the way until the very end. Their wins aren't super impressive. Like the the Wizards sweep, man. Yeah. They well, beat, I, they, I would I would say their twenty point comeback against the Blazers. Blazers, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, that's by far the most impressive. And, and they beat the Mavericks, but they beat the Mavericks without Luca. That that's that's something else. But the idea, like, so to me, the Bulls, to an extent, I think they are who we thought they were. I would say at times they've actually looked better than I expected. However, there is a big caveat there, and that is the concern I had going back to last season about starting Kobe White and Zach Levine together. I think that some of that is still borne out. And it's because those guys, you know, like, can you build a defense? Even if Wendell Carter is taking steps forward and everything else, can you build a credible starting five with two guards that are that bad defensively? Well, and then you throw Markinen in there as well, and you've got a rookie starting at small forward. It, it is, I mean, you're basically asking Wendell Carter Jr. to be the guy who can clean everything up defensively, and he's, he's not going to be that necessarily as well. Uh, but how have things changed for the Bulls with and without Carter? It's kind of been a rotating cast at backup center with without him. Yeah, it's uh so Stefan No was tweeting about this a little bit early in the week so I wanted to do some digging and I thought it was thought it was fascinating. And the biggest positive for Carter on off is in shot distribution. And that's something good to look at cuz sometimes that can be intimidation around the basket and everything else. Um only 29% of opponent shots are in the restricted area when Carter's out there. That jumps to 36% when he when he sits. However, opponents are shooting 66% at the rim in Carter's minutes. That's very high. So you kind of have to reconcile those two things. I look at both those, like if we're going to Rudy Gobert or any number of other players, it's kind of like frequency and success. But when you also factor in the the players he's largely playing with, I think that lowering that frequency is actually a pretty good thing. Um, and yeah, the Bulls have a 120 defensive rating when Carter plays that drops to about 112 when he sits. But when you think about their personnel, especially when they have the Bulls have their capable backups, you know, when they have Garrett Temple and when Sato's available and some of these guys, like their second unit starting five, the non-Carter, they're, sorry, the non-Carter five is far better to defensively than their starting five. So I'm, I, I think that, and I've seen Carter take some steps. I want to do a deeper dive on him and maybe, a, maybe a month, maybe like the next, we'll do something different on the two weeks. Um, and then something else that I looked at a little bit is I wondered about when White and Levine have been separated. And it's not a huge surprise to me, especially when you consider the, the subs on their guard rotation. Yeah. That the and, Bulls and the def- fact that those subs haven't even been available to me, like Saturday right. has only played three games, for example, with uh, yeah. a, a double COVID absences, a, a double loss, as Jim yes. Boylan would say, but he actually apparently has COVID now. Yeah, he didn't. He, he was out for contact tracing the first time, didn't get it, and then got it later. Um, And so when either Levine or White has been out, the defense has been better. It's been a, like a pretty much a disaster when those guys have been in. Now, could be some small, small sample side theater, a lot of things that could be a factor because we're talking about 200 possessions and about each of those splits. But it makes sense, and that's kind of my big, one of my big ideas with the Bulls is that they're, they're overall, they're a competent 
team. I like their depth when they can have guys available, but I think they're going to, Karnashevis is going to need to choose what, Karnasovas. Why do I always get that wrong? Um, it is Karnashevis. God damn it. Um, he's probably going to need to choose one of those guards. And I, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what offers would theoretically be on the table for either of yeah. them. But, but well, also, one of them could come off the bench too, in theory, although Levine has only a year and a half left on his contract basically at this right. point. Right. And he'll be unrestricted at that point. Um, also worth noting here that some of these games they've been able to win at the end, they've gone with Thaddeus Young at center and Young with his shooting range. I mean, that's kind of the better offensive role for him. And he might still be the best defensive player on this team. He didn't have much of an effect last year under Jim Boylan. I think he's being used a little bit more sensibly this year by Billy Donovan. But the point has been made that a lot of why the Bulls have been winning has been some of the contributions of these vets and you know who aren't really going to be a part of their future and we'll see whether any of them uh, end up having any trade value um, but it's there's some reasons for optimism to be sure and obviously the fact that Larry Markin who's played limited minutes but is at least shooting well from three this year 46 percent from three he's been out for a long time and they haven't had their full team together we're gonna be saying that about a lot of teams so far this year uh, but it, you know I think four and five to me overstates where they are a little bit but at least they have been competitive here after those first three games as you one other thing to file away you brought up the potential trade value of their vets so Thaddeus Young 14.2 million next year but only partially guaranteed for 6 million Sadoransky 10 million partially guaranteed for 5 million and that partial guarantee like in a lot of ways that makes it better just because it's getting rid of downside risk but for them to be valuable trade pieces you unless you're taking on a bad multi-year contract probably want the other team to evaluate them as being worth the full value of that contract because otherwise you're paying them half of it to not be there so I think it's going to take a lot for Thaddeus Young to look like a 14 million dollar year player for next year and Sato at 10 that could be a little bit different depending on where a team is but the Bulls might end up with this like the challenge of players being properly paid is that it's harder to harder to pursue it but then maybe they end up keeping them and then seeing if a team wants those players at the um in the offseason you know like well kind of in that right before the drop dead date that could be a possibility yeah and just to give an example by the way of the veteran lineups closing games that I'm talking about the Mavs game Kobe White Zach Levine and then Garrett Temple, Otto Porter, and Thaddeus Young were the other three players closing that out in a game that was way closer than expected without Luka Dunn. I shouldn't say way closer than expected because home doesn't really matter and the Mavs are still well coached and have some talent, but uh, they ended up winning that game without Luka. Obviously, no Porzingis for the Mavs either, but that's, uh, you know, three of those guys are guys who are not going to be on this team probably next year. Oh, and one other quick note, Otto Porter is doubtful for the next game due to back spasms, and as you mentioned, the capable veteran depth has been important for the Bulls so any one of those guys being out is important for Chicago let's move on to the Cavs the Cavs are five and five they are 18th in net rating negative 1.5 dead last in offense and first in defense um the Cavs are projected to win 26 games which is 12th in the Eastern Conference Raptor 9% chance of being the playoffs ELO 22% and a part of why they're last in offense is the Cavs having all three of their point guards injured at the same time Sexton is dealing with a sprained left ankle he should be back pretty soon there was a possibility he was going to play on against the Bucks on Saturday but he got scratched Garland is still coming back from the shoulder issue and Del Vidova we haven't heard anything in a while I believe he's still in the concussion protocol so that has led to their half-court offense not that it was incredible beforehand but it has completely fallen off a cliff and so the Cavs have this crazy double right now and I want to talk about this because we don't know how long it's gonna last where they are the league's stingiest half-court defense and also the league's stingiest half-court offense on themselves, so they're first and last in those two things. 
Yeah, and this is a team that has obviously had a very rotating cast of characters right now. We went through some of their backcourt absences. It is, if you look at who's available right now, that last in half-court offense certainly looks like a big problem. But they do deserve a lot of credit for what they've gotten defensively out of guys like Larry Nance and Andre Drummond. Should we talk about the uh, the Bickerstaff Bowl on Thursday? That was such a weird game. I, I mean, it, so yeah, yeah. the Cavs have no point guards. And the Grizzlies have Tyus Jones and really that's it. So it's this ends up being this kind of like bizarre rock fight that actually ends in two huge plays by Isaac Okoro, who has returned from that foot sprain. Yeah, Okoro tracked down Tyus Jones and blocked him on what could have been a go-ahead layup. It was initially called a goaltend, but then overturned on review. It was a beautiful chase down block. And then he had a, an excellent cut along the baseline late in the clock. Andre Drummond was dribbling around up top for a long time which he did a number of times in that game uh but this time he actually to his credit made the play found a coro for a big dunk uh, and that ended up putting the calves up uh, to salt away the wind i mean the bickerstaff bull obviously bickerstaff coached in memphis and was fired there but it also just kind of seemed like an old school kind of brawl that bickerstaff would like with all these point guards unavailable i mean they started damian dotson at the one a coro at the two osman at the three and then nance and and Andre Drummond in that game. And obviously uh, the Grizz that didn't have much more ball handling than but, that. By either. the way, the Andre Drummond fever dream of the last couple of games has been kind of amazing with basically like, oh, we have nobody who can handle the ball. Let's just see what Andre Drummond can do. I want to give his full season stats right now. Drummond, 31% usage. That's career high. 16.8 assist percentage. Uh, 17% turnover rate. It's a basic, and, and like, if you think of the last couple of games, like he basically is having the ball in his hands more than he has his entire career. And I'm guessing that's been pretty fun for him. Well, and it's been created for... some memorable clips. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's one in the Memphis game. <laughs> where i mean hopefully hopefully you've seen it um he was dribbling around and dribbling around like waiting for people to come off of screens and i mean to his credit at least he wasn't like just taking the jumper that was available but he probably dribbled for a good i would say 10 seconds but like he was at least waiting for someone to pass it to like it wasn't really his fault you know it just looks bad when you're dribbling for that long and then he decided okay well there's nothing there so i'm gonna drive into a bunch of people he kind of drove to his left and i think it's the first shot attempt i've ever seen that has actually got backwards like away from the rim he attempted a scoop shot but he like held onto it for too long and like the shot actually ended up going backwards towards the other basket it was spectacular <laughs> oh man uh but hey you know i mean to his credit he, in a similar situation he then uh made the the game-winning pass to Agoro. and i mean more importantly for this Cavs team like he's at least been bringing it defensively and we'll see yes. like if they can ever get healthy again you know sexton's out with his ankle and garland has the shoulder issue you know i wanted to do a big break down on one of those two guys but they haven't been playing these last couple of games so uh, i mean this defensive renaissance looks pretty good i mean is there anything that sticks out as like not being sustainable from their defensive numbers so the first thing you would always think of when a team changes their fortune so dramatically on defense is opponent three-point shooting and that's that's actually okay i mean they're 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 doing they're doing fine there instead the part that might be unsustainable is um they're allowing the second lowest opponent field goal percentage at the rim um about 57%. And the concern is that um, opponent rim frequency is pretty high. Um, and they have capable, like this is a team that has 48 competent minutes at center when everybody's healthy. So you could expect them to do relatively well there, but just to be that, to be that extreme 
is is probably you would expect that. And so if the frequency is a little bit high and they were and opponents were kind of regress to the mean, get a let's say like three four percent better there, then that makes their defense less efficient. But they're still that still makes them markedly better than last year. So that is a it, and you know now that they'll hopefully have more Okoro, we'll see what happens with Damian Dotson and some of these other players. And also remember they're not playing Kevin Love because Kevin Love is unavailable. So I, I think that their defense will be materially better than last year. They have better personnel. They're executing better. I think Bickerstaff has done a good job there. So I think they're they'll be fine. They won't be first in the league, but better than I expected. That's for damn sure. Yeah, and if you look at Okoro, Nance, and Drummond, like that's a totally solid defensive front court. And I think Drummond, due to some of his offensive foibles, and I think also last year he kind of was really out of it um, and, and wasn't really put in a position to succeed in Detroit either. But he has actually been the center on some totally, if not outstanding defenses, solid defenses in his career back during the Van Gundy era. And so uh, because he's never been like this unbelievable defensive player that maybe he's become underrated there as viewed as just like a really bad defensive player. And no, I think he he at least provides some size and defensive rebounding. And you're not just going to go up for a layup uh, with him around the way that you did last year. So, um, you know, if you look at how much better they are, that trade that they made for Drummond uh, and there's still the, the offense is totally ridiculous. But it seems like when you look at some of the other stuff that was done with free agent money this offseason, like it wasn't crazy to make that trade for him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, um, should we move on? Or you got anything else on the Cavs? No. Um, Pistons are Ben's team. So we'll, we'll tackle that. We'll tackle that later. Instead, we can move to the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are six and three after the game against Phoenix on Saturday, which we will talk about. Four plus 4.1 net rating is eighth in the NBA, 11th in offense, 10th in defense, 538 projects them to win 38 games, which is tied for sixth in the East. Uh, 79% and 75% chance of making the playoffs. A quick note that TJ McConnell missed the Suns game due to the birth of, of his wife's first child. Congratulations to them. And I, I've been interested in the Pacers beyond just watching them because of the opportunity to see what happens when you change a coach and don't change your personnel ton, though unfortunately their personnel has changed with TJ, with TJ Warren basically you know missing a while yeah. due to this due to this stress fracture. Um, so the first the first place I got really into and this was watching one of their games early in the week was how I wanted to look into their shot distribution and the an- the answer is truly fascinating. So the Pacers percentages so cleaning the glass does a good job makes this easy to parse. The Pacers percentages from all of the different zones so that's at the rim and floater and so on and so forth. Their shooting percentages in each area are actually fairly similar to last year. They're they're a little bit better from floater range, they're a little bit worse from three, but generally they're within the same realm. However, the Pacers went from 21st in what is location effective field goal percentage. So that's basically like if a team was league average at everything, what you'd expect them to do on their shots. They went from 21st in that to second behind the Rockets, Maury Ball and Silas Ball now. And so even though they're not shooting any better, taking shots from better locations has led to a two percentage point jump in effective field goal percentage. And I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty remarkable. And uh, th- that is uh, what you call low hanging fruit. Uh, anything else that, that stuck out about their overall offensive performance? Uh, offensively, no. I think that's. Or, uh, sorry, I, think I should have transitioned to, de- to defense. Was, uh, <laughs> that's, that's okay. I, I, I um, thought I thought you had one more thing on on the offense, but no, actually. Well, no. I mean, they're they're jump from floater range. Well, the other thing to consider is that being jump, having a little jump in efficiency when TJ Warren has been largely out. Warren's only played 117 minutes this year. Like that, I think that's a pretty notable win for Bjorkren so far. Is that they're doing that? You know, Jeremy Lamb's not back. Anything else? Um, but yeah. So then I started looking at the defense, partially inspired by the Suns game and a. 
couple of totally bonkers things there. So they're 10th in defense, despite opponents shooting 40% from three. That's the third best. You expect that to regress to the mean. So that, that looks really good. Remember, the Pacers had a successful defense last year. Also, the Pacers are playing the highest proportion of their defensive possessions in the half court. So that means they're getting back. They're not giving up transition. 83.5% of their opponent possessions are coming in the half court. That's great. You will, you want to see that. And they, but the thing that is really interesting, and I like, I saw it a little bit in that Phoenix game, but I didn't think about it at the time. I just was looking up something else, actually. I was looking at Kimmer, what team I was looking up. Somehow, the Pacers are giving up 42% of opponent shots at the rim. And by comparison, last year's Boylan Bulls, remember their entire scheme was kind of, that was what they were sacrificing to get steals and everything else. They were at about the same percentage. They were at 41.7. This Pacers team is at 41.9. So that's really fascinating. Yeah, so for the Pacers, I don't see how much that changes with Turner on and off the floor because definitely just watching them in the lineups where it's only Sabonis and then you also, you know, they're playing some of these lineups with Sabonis at the five and like Doug McDermott at the four. So so when Miles Turner is on the floor, we'll do this is a little, little scientific hypothesis and and reality here. My hypothesis is that that percentage will be a lot lower when Miles Turner is on the floor. Let's see if that actually turns out to be the case. So with Miles Turner on the floor, oh yeah, this only has it based on like their overall for cleaning the glass has it based on relative to what their overall standard is. So, but it's, oh no, I ha- I have I have the actual number. Okay, yeah, let's, please. Um, you're, so you're it's it's yeah, it's forty. It's for it's actually so in terms of frequency it's about the same it's 42 percent of their shots when when turner's on the floor and it's about 42 percent either way but what dramatically swings is the accuracy so opponents are shooting 55 percent at the rim when turner's on the floor and 69 percent when turner is off the floor yeah so so that that's a little bit of a problem and yeah i mean if you're if you're giving up a lot of shots at the rim if the opponents are shooting 55 percent, that's not the end of the world now that's a very low number you know that's something that might be unsustainable although when you're blocking as many shots as turner does uh, that makes it a little bit easier. Um, uh, any other interesting characteristics of the uh, Sabonis-Turner lineups with one or the other on the floor? Yeah, uh, so both lineups have been somewhat successful. Um, the Sabonis-In-Turner out lineups, as you mentioned, they've been, those have limited defensive personnel, but they have a like the 120 offensive rating. So they're they're scoring enough to, to keep themselves afloat. But then when when Turner's in without Sabonis, you this isn't either a huge surprise too. They're great defense offensively and limited offensively so they they have a, a plus 8.7 net rating that was actually much higher i think it was a plus 11 or plus 12 before the suns game and then those minutes were worse against phoenix so let's talk a little bit about that suns game although actually no i want to hit on malcolm brogdon season first so brogdon the top line numbers are outstanding 62 percent true shooting 23 per uh it's also had a, a ton of assists uh, as well 24 percent usage victor oladipo leads the team with 27 percent usage he has not been as efficient as brogdon but a little reason for concern in terms of regression in the shooting numbers brogdon is shooting 48 percent at the rim and 48 percent from three uh in fact identical shooting numbers for both the rim and from three literally 47.5 percent that's from so both weird. of those and now the rim shooting should in theory get better uh but that three-point percentage is clearly going to come down actually danny this is hilarious he's also taking the exact same percentage of his field goal attempt for at the rim and from three 37.1 percent of his field goal 
attempts. This is so boring, but I have to say it anyway. 37.1% of his field goal attempts come at the rim. 37.1% of his three-point attempts or, or of his attempts come from three. And then he is making exactly 47.5%. Well, yeah. you, you could, I don't know if you know, you can pull the split on basketball reference. It's 28 to 59 both ways. Yeah, yeah. I figured that. Uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but not cool is the fact that he needs to shoot a little bit better at the rim. And then Victor Oladipo you know, had a nice start to the season, uh, but he's also really struggling at the rim. 51% and did have a big dunk in the Suns game when he really got a runway to get going. But overall, just, you know, the pop has not been there to finish. And other than that one 17-18 year, Oladipo has in his career really struggled to finish at the basket. Uh, the Pacers started Aaron Holiday. So really their starting lineup is three guards and then the two centers. They don't really have any traditional threes or, or even really fours on this team now uh, at this point. I mean, they're playing Malcolm Brogdon at the three starting Aaron Holiday, Oladipo, and Brogdon. Brogdon, I thought, actually did a pretty good job overall on Devin Booker, uh, particularly in the second quarter. There were a couple of times that Booker tried to attack and just got cut off really nicely uh, by Brogdon. Um, you know, Justin Holiday continues to give them good minutes. He's doing a little bit more off the dribble, a little bit more aggressive as a shooter. He's always been kind of a late bloomer, and you know, even here in his early 30s, he's found uh, new skills. Unfortunately, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to mention that one of the challenges for their bench has just been that lack of depth that they don't they don't really have enough guys to fill all the slots especially with mcconnell being out on in this one Sabonis had a really odd game he was three of ten from the field in the first half and they kept trying to post him up against deandre ayton who's actually like a really good one-on-one defender and Sabonis wasn't really able to get much going against ayton for some reason they didn't post him up when he was going against the sun second unit with sharks then in the third quarter though he really got going and was kept in the game even longer by bjorker and he ended up with a 20 point quarter and his overall game you know the top line number was really good he had 20 uh, over 20 points and over 20 rebounds but i didn't really think that he had that good of a game he wasn't that efficient overall defensively they really struggled when they went to the two bigs again at, at the end i mean they basically have to close with that alignment these days uh, because they just don't have anyone else to play the four and the suns were running a ton of spain pick and roll they were using jake crowder a lot in that as the, as the screener that's what the suns love to do at the end of games like for example against the portland last year under, under monty williams they just ran that spain pick and roll over and over again with uh devin booker as the ball handler and so sabonis his mobility getting caught there trying to play the four as crowder was setting that screen was a problem and, and booker was able to just get like a bunch of buckets in a row as it was 98 96 and phoenix then went on a 17 to 4 run in the fourth quarter to ice thing uh my single favorite stat from this game miles turner had four blocks and that lowered his his blocks per game because yeah. he's at 4.1 for the season yeah he, he's been pretty ridiculous so the pacers i mean i'm still feeling pretty good about their team they have a lot of depth the oladipo thing is going to kind of hover over this you know it, he started off very efficiently that's starting to end a little bit like him have, having the highest usage on the team not really having anyone who could guard at, at the three is a little bit of a concern but they also like miles turner playing as well as he have and sabonis so, so seems to have taken a a little bit more of a step forward as well Brogdon I mean they have a lot of good players on this team and as long as they can keep most of these guys healthy they're going to be very competitive on most nights um also worth noting by the way is this right that the Pacers are 10.4 points per 100 possessions worse when DeMontis Sabonis is on the floor so basketball reference does right now that seems possible uh using cleaning the glasses filter garbage time filter it's 5.5 but it's possible that there's some some like late blowout stuff in there yeah yeah okay well a- anyway that, that'll be something to monitor because the pattern has been that the Sabonis no Turner lineups in the past have been 
way better than the Turner No Sabonis lineup. Let's turn. Yeah, that has yeah. not been true so far this year. Let's turn to Miami here, and they've got plenty of COVID absences now. Avery Bradley, I guess only one COVID absence. Only one COVID. They just have other absences. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Olynyk with a left groin contusion is questionable for today. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem particularly good. Uh, Myers Leonard had a shoulder issue. He's had shoulder issues in, in his past. So that's a little bit of a concern. Um, Mo Harkless had a left forearm contusion. We, Hollinger and I talked about how some of their options at, at stretch four trying to replace Jay Crowder have really, really underperformed. Um, but how do these guys compare to what they were last regular season so far? Yeah, so I, I've been trying to kind of piece together this Miami team. And defensively, I think, especially when you consider some of the like personnel ins and outs, I think that they're largely on track. Um, and then, but what's been interesting is offensively and worth noting, of course, that Jimmy Butler has missed a bunch of time. He's only played 174 minutes this season. He's played in six games out of their 10. And remember one of those games, that's why I used minutes played is because one of those games he didn't play, I think after the second quarter, the one against the Bucks. Yeah. Um, last year's heat team was eighth in offense. And uh, they were they were eighth in offense despite being, you know, so if you think about the four factors, despite being weak in two of them, they didn't really offensive rebound, not a huge factor when you consider the personnel they played. Yes, they did often start with Myers Leonard, but he does an offensive rebound and they turned the ball over for a amount. So they were really fueled by getting to the line a ton and making the shots they took. And you can think about the three point efficiency there and everything else. The challenge for Miami so far has been the things where they struggled last year, they've gotten worse in. They're turning the ball over the most in the league, 17.2% of possession. And they're getting even fewer offensive rebounds. And then the things that they were great in last year, they're very good. And so that has led to a decrease in their offense. But I'm not I'm not super concerned because to be the big the big thing here is in Goran Dragic's minutes, and remember, he's not always playing with Miami's best players. It's just when he's on the floor, you know, some Bam, some some Achua, some, you know, depending on who's around. Dragic's minutes, 360. 60 possessions plus 10.8 net rating including a 120 offensive rating so like he's their best player offensively when jimmy butler is unavailable in particular and they've been fine in those minutes i think that spolster's approach is fine as long as the heat make the playoffs and get a reasonable seed so i'm generally fine with them yeah another thing to note here is uh this upcoming stretch of season for them and Oof. they've got four sets in a row philly although that we'll see how, how much uh of a team philly is able to put together detroit okay that's not too bad then they got a two-game set against toronto and then they have a two-game set against brooklyn but really the bigger issue is just how many games they have to play and how few number of date right and remember that a lot of the like COVID absences and all that it's about number of days not number of games so like yeah if you if you're missing somebody like avery bradley if he's let's say that's a seven game ab- seven day absence that's probably going to be four or five games yeah and so part of the hope here is that with this this truncated schedule at least because you're playing all these sets that you'll have fewer flights at least in between these next eight games that you really you only have four flights during that period and you're staying in the same city for longer but yeah this is uh... I, I will I will also say that the combination of sets and these the the health and safety protocols I I've lamented as you know the lack of competitive balance of you know like when you play a team in quick succession it means that even a short absence can can really swing things that's even more extreme this year where like it can even be like you played the same team twice 
and that guy missed two games. You know, like maybe they had a turned ankle and did that. Now, you can argue it's not the most important thing this year and everything else, but it is it is a very real a very real factor this year. Like who you like, for example, we'll have to remember that yeah, Chicago beat Dallas, but they beat Dallas without Luca and Porzingis and all the all those. You know, there are gonna be a lot of those types of context clues that we're not always gonna remember. Last thing, Bam Adebayo, in terms of his offense, has taken another step forward here. Seventeen points a game. He is turning it over on twenty one percent of his possessions. That's the the biggest downside that we've seen and you mentioned already how much they're turning it over that that is starting to normalize at least a little bit at one point about a week ago they were 29th in offense in large part due to those turnovers but Adebayo only playing 30 minutes a game but 64 percent shooting and his free throw shooting is really good almost 80 percent he's taking 5.5 a game there and getting to the foul line a fair amount so the overall number for him is 23 percent usage which is higher than it's been and almost 70 percent true shooting so if he can continue to maintain this level part part of the reason why his efficiency is so high is he is shooting 88 percent at the rim but he also is actually really finding the mid-range jumper and some of this is going to go down obviously he's uh 55 percent from 10 to 16 feet but that's a, a shot that he'd need because if teams are going to try to uh play him for the pass and back off to take away cutters and stuff then you know to just take that mid-range jumper or even just late in the shot clock as well as something that he needs and he at least has been able he's not again he's not going to shoot over 50 percent for the whole year but that's something that he can add in uh okay let's uh turn to the milwaukee bucks who are six and four their net rating is first in the nba they've had a number of blowout wins despite that crazy loss to the knicks uh where they got blown out other than that they are kind of right where they were last year uh well above everyone else in net rating they are first in offense shooting the shit out of the ball from three right now but the defense uh, is a bit of a concern it's down to 15th at the moment they do project for tying for the number one seed in the east 46 wins uh and they almost certainly will be making the playoffs unless injuries derail them and so something i thought was fascinating uh kevin pelton tweeted out something that he you know didn't mention when he was on low on the low post which was no team has had an average three-point shooting percentage against the bucks so far this year at as of when he wrote it no team had either shot anywhere between 32 and 38 percent everybody's either better or worse and the jazz after he wrote that or read around then the jazz set a franchise record with 25 made threes and that was still true even after the cleveland game that was played on saturday because the Cavs shot 27 percent from three which is also helping milwaukee's defensive numbers some and so something that just it flies in the face of the orthodoxy is that the only other team like that is new orleans pelicans and the reason why it flies in the face of the orthodoxy is because if you were to think about it without some other important context those two teams give up a high volume of threes and generally speaking when you increase volume you decrease variance that's the whole idea of like why if you're an under talented team you want to reduce the number of possessions in the game because the more possessions a team has it's the same kind of idea but those but that gets into this idea that not all shots are created equal and also it's a small sample size and you don't want to read too much into 10 again the 15th in defense to me is kind of the is the concern um and we knew that that was going to take a step back this season because they don't have good defensive players on their second unit anymore and so far though they've really mixed 
and matched Giannis with some of those units. So the big on-off differential has not really been there with him. Well, I will I will note though, it looks like there was going to be more of one until the Cavs game or the, until the until the Cavs game where Giannis didn't play and then they beat the crap out of the Cavs. Yeah, that's true. And obviously the Cavs had no guards available. So yeah, that that's that's a good point that that one game may be skewing things a, a little bit more. Uh, but really on offense is where the Bucks have looked a lot better again, skewed by that Cavs game where they didn't play. And that's you know good job by the organization. That's a good time to rest Giannis Antetokounmpo when you're going up against the Cavs who uh, don't have any guard <laughs> on their team at all. But you know some of these guys who are shooting it really well, like Jordan Nwora, uh Middleton has been fantastic from three. Also, Pat Connaughton is like up around 50%. We'll see if that continues. If Connaughton can become a, a solid three-point shooter instead of like the 33% guy that he's been, you know that really kind of changes what he can do because he does provide some things in the other aspects. Um, what do you make of Giannis' season so far? His overall numbers are actually pretty similar to the final kids season in terms of effectiveness. So uh, 59% true shooting, 35% usage, 28 PER. But what I find most compelling so far about Giannis's offensive numbers is it's sort of a bizarro Pacers thing, which we just talked about, where Giannis is shooting about, it's relatively similar to, to, to his percentages in each zone compared to last year. However, he is not taking as many shots in the places where he is most effective. So he's basically trading shots around the rim, i.e. dunks and whatnot, for jump shots. And he is significantly worse at jump shots than he has shots the rim now. It is fair to argue that, to counter, that Giannis taking, you know, over 50% of his shots around the rim when he is such a high, you know, high usage part in the offense. It's like how many of those shots are actually there and everything else. But if he's only taking 40% of his shots in the only place where Giannis is truly efficient other than the free throw line, then the numbers are going to look a little bit more pedestrian. Yeah. So a couple other notes on their defense. We mentioned it's 15th. They still are preventing shots at the rim, but they're not ridiculous in that regard anymore. They are third in the NBA in preventing shots at the rim, and they still give up a a ton of three-pointers as well in terms of the accuracy that they're allowing at the rim that's where it's really fallen off for them and they're pretty much mid-pack allowing 63 percent shooting at the rim so that that's one of the ways that they've fallen off and then you know they're really not particularly impressive in any area defensively to where you think oh this is going to turn around a lot or that they're on the the receiving end of uh, some bad luck i mean they're allowing 37 percent shooting from three so that's pretty much average 15th in the nba uh uh, and then their defensive rebounding and their fouling is still pretty good, but it's not, you know, one of the best defensive rebounding teams of all time anymore. And they're ninth in preventing fouls and they don't really force any turnovers and they're probably not going to with this group. So I, I think it's pretty clear that this is not going to be a great regular season defense anymore. I, I think it can be totally fine and, you know, probably top 10, but it's not going to be this type of group the way we've seen where, you know, they're two points per 100 better than league average on defense. Like that's not going to be there anymore. And then offensively, you'd say, oh yeah, you know, they're this great three-point shooting that they've had over 41%. Some of that is from guys you'd expect to be awesome. Chris Middleton is over 50%. But a lot of guys are way above their career norms. Like the guys they brought in that I thought would really help them were DJ Augustin and Bryn Forbes. And those guys are actually, you know, just in the high 30s, nothing incredibly special. Instead, it's Connaughton, 52%. Brooke Lopez was 29% last year. He's 36% this year. DiVincenzo, 47%. Holiday, 40%. So what happened? when those guys start to regress I'm interested to see I still think this can be a very solid offense but I don't think they will be the best offense in the NBA we're done 
Speaking of maybe not being the best offense in the NBA when we're done, though they've outperformed. But anyway, uh, that wasn't as smooth a transition as I wanted. But let's talk about the Knicks. Five and four. Negative uh, 1.5 net rating is good for 19th in the league, 28th in offense, second in defense. So the Cavs are one and the Knicks are two right now. Um, five third day projects the Knicks will win 28 games, which is 11th in the East, 14% chance of making the playoffs per Raptor, 38% per ELO. Um, Alec Burks is still wearing a walking boot probably about another week or so. Uh, it was seven to 10 days when he... When, when it was originally done and we're only a little bit in there. Um, and some, I, I think that I think you, uh, an important place to start with the Knicks and it sucks when a team is doing well and you're excited about it to kind of talk about why it might be unsustainable. Yeah. Th- this but- happened to them a couple of years ago too. I think they started like six and three a couple of years ago too. And, and we had to have the same discussion. Yeah. So it's time. Well, where we have to start obviously is with three point shooting. The, the Knicks are first in three point percentage against opponents are shooting just under 30 percent from downtown we had the same talk with the hawks and so no this is not going to continue to be the best defensive team in basketball uh i mean if you just look at a couple of their big wins that they had where they shot like 50 percent higher from three than their opponents that's not something that you can rely on and it, well and to to, to put yeah. a, an additional factor there the knicks are giving up the fifth highest opponent three-point frequency in the entire league so if you're giving up this many threes and teams are even shooting median league average on that your defense looks a lot worse right exactly i mean they're they're giving up about 38 three-point attempts per game so if you just get back up to the league average which again there's no real reason to believe that teams won't shoot at least league average against them going forward from three and that's basically two more made threes a game that you're talking about and that obviously is going to increase your defensive rating with about 100 possessions a game by around five six points so that uh that basically gets you right back to being league average just uh on its own there uh with the three-point shooting now I, I think they can continue to be respectable on defense but the other problem is offensively they're probably I mean they're 28th in offense and they might even be like above their heads right now. yeah I mean they're shooting so they're shooting 16 there's their league average about on three-point shooting but it, I mean I would say I would argue they're playing with their they're also they've been efficient around the basket and when you think about the incredible fascinating role that Julius Randle's playing in their offense now maybe that continues maybe he is just this guy but the kind of like the fallback playmaking i mean alfred payton's had a better year than i expected full credit full credit to him but yeah it's it's it could end up getting worse i think you know it's easier to see the regression defensively but i could see it offensively too yeah they are lasted three-point attempt right right now offensively although they've been hitting uh a better percentage probably than you would expect them to hit going forward uh but julius randall as you mentioned i mean he is leading the team in assists which is almost double the next closest player i mean that the playmaking has been a big big part of it so he could be their leader in points rebounds and assists season i think he is he is right now yeah as of right now uh now he is 10 for 21 on spot up jumpers uh he's been going right way more than he used to although that's mostly actually to shoot the jumper going right off the dribble and if you look at his field goal percentage by distance 36 percent from three that's a, a lot higher on a higher volume than it's been before but he's actually shooting 50 percent on twos outside the paint and that's actually comprising a pretty decent amount of his shots that's almost 30 percent of his shots right now so that is not going to continue his shooting around the rim is a little bit below average 59 percent uh 
uh, he is creating a lot of these shots. Even fewer of his shots are assisted uh, than ever before. Uh, and worth noting too that they have, have a 0.6 net rating when he's on the floor. That is 8.1 points per 100 better than when he is off the floor. Uh, the one thing that hasn't worked out that well is when he is the ball handler in transition and tries to take it to the basket. He's actually turned it over on seven of his 13 transition possessions that he has finished as the ball handler. Now that doesn't capture all the times that he's able to set other guys up and his defensive rebounding has been big uh the one thing they might get a little bit better at is the offensive rebounding they're only about mid-pack there randall hasn't really he's been playing outside more he's been attacking facing up off the driller from the three-point line more so they haven't really been playing you know if he does an offensive rebound then they're kind of an average offensive rebounding group but maybe he can be more active there i'll note that i think their bench offense will get better too when they have more alec burks and austin rivers when he's been available has helped and i want to talk briefly about emmanuel quickly we've only seen 69 minutes so i don't want to go too crazy but he had a, a nice performance in the kind of the close against against the Hawks had five late free throws which were big three on a, a three on a, a three shot foul by Trey Young so he finished that game with 16 points two rebounds and assists um and plus 17 in 19 minutes in a game that they won late so I, I've liked it I think quickly his shot looks good so far I don't I need to see what whether he can create an advantage this isn't a full scout a full breakdown we'll get into that but I want to keep an eye on him and then briefly the numbers on RJ Barrett 11.3 PER 46 percent true shooting on 23% usage, 13 assist percentage, and all of those are basically in line with last season, some a little higher, some a little lower. The number that is lower, 21% on threes, 4.7 per game, and then he's also shooting 44% on twos, 12 two-pointers per game. Yeah, and you noted this as well, that he is only taking five pull-up threes this season, so this is all catch and shoot where you should be a lot better. Uh, this isn't, this is like, all right, he's open, you throw it to him, he's got to shoot this type of plays as opposed to all right he's really trying to expand and shoot the three off the dribble which he has largely abandoned at this point so that makes those numbers look even worse from downtown and and as i mentioned i mean he made his first three threes of the season and since then he is i that would be six for 39 then that's right yeah, that's not, uh and, and now worth noting that he is playing a ton of minutes i mean that he and randall yes. have both had times where they've been well over 40 minutes so tom thibodeau obviously believes him and the free throw shooting is a little bit better as well but this is at best incremental improvement from what was not a great rookie year he has been solid defensively i don't know if he's a stopper but certainly he's got some he's got some length he compete he's strong so i i think he, he could be a solid piece defensively at least we could move to the Orlando Magic, who are 5-4 and four on the season. They are 19th in net rating at negative 1.5, 24th in offense, 12th in defense. 538 projects them to win 36 games, which would be 8th in the East. And Raptor gives them a 65% chance of making the playoffs. ELO, 63%. And unfortunately, I mean, they've to me, they've been one of the league's most surprising success stories when you think about they started the season without Jonathan Isaac. Um, but it might be short-lived because they have a more challenging schedule. They have Milwaukee, Boston twice, and Brooklyn this coming week. Now, Boston, we talked about how they're a little bit more limited we'll see who's available for brooklyn and milwaukee in those games I, I still think they'll compete i absolutely think they they can make can make the play in and potentially the playoffs but it is going to be very hard and the cascade effect of injuries is a huge problem potentially for orlando now um did, did because, we say they're five and four by the way uh, i i did say they're okay, five they, and four. they are, are six they and better four. i think that was six and four okay there. okay no worries um and so like it's the cascade effect of injuries because it's fundamentally different when two of your important players are out for the season because you know they're 
they're not coming back. So that means anybody else who's out for a period of time, then you don't really have another way to replace them. And we saw some of that in the game that they played on Saturday against the Dallas Mavericks, where Aaron Gordon and Vooch played 33 and 36 minutes. Then Terrence Ross played 33, but basically the rest, a lot of their extra minutes came like Ken Birch played 24 because they just didn't really have anybody else. Gary Clark's playing a bunch. So they're kind of playing, they're playing big because they can't play small. And then that creates some of the limitations that they're dealing with. Yeah, those Birch and Vooch together lineups uh, have never been particularly outstanding. And Gordon is better as a four than as a three. And he's going to be limited in, in with this hamstring that he's coming back from as well. So it, it does seem like uh, things have kind of tipped over and they're going to start rolling downhill a, a little bit here. You know, Dwayne Bacon, who's uh, second on this team in minutes, is starting to fall off a, a little bit. You know, not really just a, another one of these guys where, you know, it's kind of like, well, what, what do you do here exactly? I mean, he's got a big body. He can defend okay in the Steve Clifford system, but uh, he's not spacing the floor. He's not getting to the foul line. He's kind of like an isolationist. At least he's not turning the ball over because uh, it is a Steve Clifford team after all. And Cole Anthony has had some flashes, but his top line numbers are not amazing. 42% true shooting. He's actually running 7.2 pick and rolls a game, uh, which is 56% of his possessions. He's had to create everything for himself. And that's 0.79 points per possession, which is a little bit below average. We'll catch up uh, on him more in a couple of weeks, maybe. Well, to a we're going to get plenty of film. So yeah, we'll ha- hopefully yeah, he'll, we'll have that to work with. He, he will get all he can eat for sure couple of wild stats about the magic so far i was just every once in a while i go through cleaning the glass and just like look for weird stuff and found this um orlando is taking and remember cleaning the glass defines mid-range a little bit differently so it's basically anything that's not in the restricted area if memory serves correct me if i'm yeah, wrong yeah any two but outside the restricted area any two yeah any two outside the restricted area but orlando is taking 45 percent of their shots from what that is defined as mid-range and they're the only team in the nba taking more shots from floater range than in the restricted area and when you when you think about it, i mean vooch doesn't really get all the way to the basket they don't they don't really have a lot of those guys Aaron Gordon has missed time they're you know Fultz has been you know and is now out so that will be a, a real challenge for them and unfortunately and this will come up again sadly with another team that we haven't talked about yet we can do I guess you call it final numbers on their intended starting five they only played 121 possessions this season with Fultz Fournier Dwayne Bacon and Aaron Gordon yeah. and well, uh, well Bacon clearly would not have been in their intended starting five well but I mean, we knew Isaac was out for the whole year. Well, I yeah, do think yeah, I, I guess there was, but like, I think they probably would have rather had like, you know, James Ennis or something still. Sure. Um, okay. I mean, we, I just went with, went with that. 121 possessions. I, I just, negative. I just don't want, uh, we got to be fair to Jeff Weltman that they did not sign Dwayne Bacon thinking he would be the starting. Hmm, okay. Um, negative 24.6 net rating, which is brutal, but they were actually very positive in even an even smaller sample size when Michael Carter Williams replaced Fournier. But you know, obviously that wasn't what the, they wanted Fournier to start. Uh, um, yeah, so we'll, I mean, it'll be an interesting kind of sample here that we'll get. Aaron Gordon might end up having to create a little bit more, which maybe he'll be happy about. Cole Anthony's going to have to do a hell of a lot more. And right, like right now, Jordan Bone is their backup point guard because they don't really have anybody else. And so, yeah, we'll see where it goes in Orlando. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they are, you know, that negative 1.5 net rating right now. I mean, they've already won to be six and four, uh, 1.5 games more than would have been expected based on their point differential. And what really was keeping them afloat was their second unit uh and you know those were really the only groups that were positive in terms of net rating you mentioned how the starters had really struggled and so 
uh, I expect the free fall to begin pretty rapidly here for the Magic, uh, certainly offensively, defensively. You know, it seems like Steve Clifford could always seem to somehow cobble together an average group, and, and they do at least have defense talents. Sweet. Philadelphia, yeah, Philly. seven and three. Uh, they're seventh in net rating, plus 4.3. 18th in offense, third in defense. 538 projects them to tie with the Bucks for the best record in the East, 46 wins. They're, make, they're probably going to make the playoffs. And they are missing a bunch of guys. So I'll see if I can run through this as best as best we know it right now. Seth Curry was already going to miss the Brooklyn game due to an ankle issue. And during the game, returned a positive test for, for COVID-19, went into an isolation room, left the arena separate from the team. Embiid, Danny Green, and Paul, Paul Reed got cleared from the protocol, but Tobias Harris, Shake Milton, Matisse Thibel, and Vincent Poirier are all in the COVID protocol. So that meant that the Sixers had a whopping nine players available for their game against the Nuggets. Simmons and B, Danny Green, Tyrese Maxey, and Isaiah Joe started. And then Dwight Howard, Tony Bradley, Dakota Mathias, and Paul Reed came off the bench. Yeah, and Tyrese Maxey was close to the Sixers rookie record. He had put up 39 points. He did hit a couple of uh, deep garbage time threes late to get to that, but uh, he took 19 shots at halftime. Isaiah Joe played all 24 minutes in the first half. He's kind of like a skinny shooter type didn't shoot it well in that game it was yeoman's work to even be close at halftime but obviously uh, things fell apart against a good team the nuggets in the second half i mean some some of the numbers at halftime uh danny green was two for 11 at halftime he took 11 shots uh their team overall was five of 21 on threes since they had a bunch of centers they did have 36 percent offensive rebounds in the first half of that game uh but yeah it remains to be seen i mean the machinations before that game where Simmons and Embiid were not technically out due to the protocols but yet they weren't on the injury report at all until Saturday and then all of a sudden they were listed as out which was a little suspicious because it's not like it was a back-to-back they had played the previous they played on Thursday uh against the net so there's no reason that they shouldn't have been on the injury report on Friday so it seems like and Embiid was very clear about how he was he was worried about having COVID-19 and spreading it which hey you know that's actually a reasonable worry to have by the way uh we are in the midst of a, of a deadly pandemic but uh you know it seemed like perhaps listing them as out with an injury was an attempt to kind of have have the game be postponed so they wouldn't have to play it and they played it with seven guys because mike scott was so injured that he couldn't even play like doc river said he wasn't going to play him beforehand and so what doc has said now is they don't know how long people are gonna have to be out but just in terms of the number of minutes uh with this truncated season and how quickly these games are coming where you know having to play isaiah joe you know basically 48 minutes and and a bunch of their healthy guys or centers it's not a good situation at all here uh you want to talk a little bit about that last healthy game that they had against the wizard that was a completely bonkers bonkers game uh remember you and i did their opening night game these two teams facing off and there were some some parallels between the two joel and Bede and both got out out to a slow start and then took over this one it was more in the second quarter but he still did a lot throughout and Bede ended up with 30 38 and 8 11 to 20 from the field made all 13 of his free throws and then what most people remember this game for is Bradley Beal going completely bonkers in the first three quarters he scored 57 points in the first three quarters set his own career high through that point but then Beal amazingly only ended the game with 60 he scored three points in the fourth quarter as the Sixers came back yeah. and won. Well, they held him out for a long time because they were actually making a big comeback with him on the bench yeah 
And so, and um, well, we'll talk. We'll talk more about the wizard stuff in a little bit, unless you want to get to them now. But yeah, it was it was just such a such a weird game, especially with the parallels of MB just not really doing much early. But it didn't seem like to me like the wizards were doing a lot to take him out. He just wasn't really working as well. Um, and then that was the last game I believe that Seth Curry played in, and he was completely ridiculous early too. He had twenty eight points, eleven to fourteen from the field, six to seven from three, and so like you had Curry and Beal going off, and then eventually it was basically other guys largely that won it for the Sixers and be most notably among them so yeah we will be doing the sixers game against the hawks we don't know exactly who's going to be available for that game uh probably today as you read this uh monday or listen to this i should say 7 30 eastern and 4 30 pacific but hey uh, we appreciate the support if you are a league pass subscriber on a uh, league pass digital we will be doing that one um should we turn to the toronto raptor let's do it the raptors are two and six negative two net rating is 22nd in the nba 13th in offense 25th in defense uh, 538 projects them to win 38 games, which is tied for sixth in the East, uh, and about in the 80s percent chance of making the playoffs. And that offensive number spiked because of they played a, a really weird game against Sacramento on Friday. The Kings shot 57% from the field and 44% from three and lost by 21 because the Raptors put up a 144 offensive rating. They shot 64% on twos and 20 at 39 on threes and got to the line more. And they rebounded 34% of their own misses. So a complete like crazy huge performance by the Raptors that makes their offensive stuff because I was really I was more worried about their offense and I still am but they put that number in so it doesn't look as bad yeah and they were going to start shooting it a little bit better sure from three to be sure and the, the Kings are a, a team that can get you well uh pretty quickly uh that really pushed their offensive numbers up uh the bigger problem though obviously is this is supposed to be one of the best defenses in the NBA they are 25th right now what's going on there a huge factor is opponents shooting about 40 percent on threes that's more than five percent better than raptors gave up though that was non-representative because last year the raptors gave up the lowest opponent three points percent and that's generally not something teams can control also the raptors are fouling a ton uh third highest opponent free throw attempt rate which is that is a real problem and uh, they're not grabbing defensive rebounds and so yeah i think the the drop from second to 23rd in opponent effective field goal percentage is fluky um and something that i was thinking about during it wasn't the uh, king team was one, one of the ones before that was I had thought about how losing Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka was more it was more impactful in the playoffs than it was in the regular season because you know Aaron Baines and Boucher and Alex Len like those are the, there is a difference obviously between those guys but it's it's not as it's not as impactful when until you until you ratchet up the pressure but when you think about that they're fouling more and they're not grabbing as many rebounds like th- those are things that Ibaka that having Ibaka and Gasol as your backstops in the rotation really did help Pascal Siakam might be writing the ship here he had 22 points against boston had a really nice game against the suns although they did lose despite being competitive and then 17 in uh shorter minutes against the kings so now at 54 percent true shooting he's getting closer to league average usage has dropped a little bit uh the turnovers are getting better the one thing he was doing better early was shooting it from three but that is now down to 31 percent if you look at his numbers from synergy what really stands out to me is that he's 0.76 points per possession in transition where he was devastating last year and the year before uh, to be fair so he's 22 percent of the time in transition last year and almost 1.2 points per possession this year 17 percent of the time still his largest play type uh and that terrible 0.76 points per possession so hopefully that's something that it will get better for him and it's not even because he's turning over, turning it over so much either he's eight out of 21 on field goals in transition so just been been missing shots uh in transition overall the raptors in fact 
back uh, are still getting 20.8 percent of their possessions in transition which is second in the league per synergy uh but only 1.03 points per possession which that's going to get better that's just really aberrationally terrible and yeah they do take a lot of threes in transition you know when you're as opposed to like getting to the rim for dunks but that still is like crazy crazy low uh other aspects of siakam's game uh, in isolation actually hasn't really been any worse uh, than he was last year right about the same level of efficiency his post-ups have been less efficient but he also really just hasn't had guys setting him up nearly as well as he did last year either uh, i mean he's actually been better as a spot-up guy this year so it's not changing too much at this point he's actually been better as a pick and roll ball handler this year in terms of efficiency as well so it's, it's part of it is the shot type mix but it really seems like if you look at his overall numbers just being so shitty in transition if he could just fix that and you mentioned that he's been getting better if you can just fix that you know he could be you know is he gonna get back to being an all-nba player which he shouldn't have been second team all-nba last year anyway uh no probably not but i mean i think he's trending upward to at least not be having a disastrous performance anymore we can conclude this part and ben ben will be back of course for the pistons with the washington wizards the wizards are two and eight their negative 1.9 net rating is 21st in the nba they're 12th in offense 24th in defense 538 projects them to win 24 games which would be tied for 13th in the east a uh, raptor only gives them a five percent chance of making the playoffs elo only gives them an eight percent and unfortunately we found out on Sunday morning that Thomas Bryant's knee injury suffered on Saturday is severe. It is a torn ACL. He will be out for the remainder of the season. And as I've unfortunately had to bring up before, an ACL tear on January 10th, that likely will, that could potentially keep him out for part of next season as well. Thankfully for Bryant, he is under contract for next season already. Um, And we can get some final numbers on Bryant with Westbrook and Beal. Remember, that's like, I guess you could say that's their intended core. They were, we didn't really know what the starting five was going to be because of Avdia and Hashimura's missed start to the year and everything else. Um, but Westbrook, Beal, and Bryant together, uh, 359 possessions, negative 3.4 net rating. But if you take out the minutes with Ish Smith or Hole Nets on the floor, about even. Yeah, that's. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, the Ish Smith lineup. Actually, we, we could talk about that now. No, we should talk about Bryant. Oh yeah, first, yeah. Probably. Okay, sorry. Um, so Bryant obviously has been a, a very good offensive center. Uh, it, defensively, not as good. You imagine that Robin Lopez is going to come in and be their center going forward. The crazy thing about the Wizards is right now they are allowing by far the fewest shots at the rim of any team in the NBA and the percentage was a little bit better with Brian out there for uh, opponents but with Robin Lopez out there I mean he's been an established room protector for a long time like that aspect of their defense has been working so Lopez probably comes into the starting lineup I imagine it'll be Mo Wagner now they do have Anzix Pashniks as well uh, off the bench who hasn't played much at all this year or and you saw last year they went to some units with Hachimura and Bertans together you know those obviously uh, were quite flammable defensively Wagner it was surprising that he got that fourth year option decline but he's going to have a chance now to play we'll see uh how that goes for him he's been effective in very very limited minutes so far i do want to we, i got a lot to talk about with russell westbrook here and the ishsmith lineup but uh denny avdia in the game against the heat yesterday they're down by a ton like 15 most of the fourth quarter and then avdia comes in right at the end and makes three ridiculous three-pointers in a row uh to get him within five in the last minute of the game and then they don't look for Avdi on the next possession. They tried to post up Rui Hachimura. They lobbed it to him when he was fronted, and he ends up losing the ball uh, among two players. And then Avdi tried to come back.
back in the next possession with 30 seconds left and uh Bam Adebayo said no you're not going to get this crazy three-pointer off and he blocked it but obviously we've talked about how little opportunity he's had to actually touch the ball but his three-pointer looks very very good he was pretty aggressive uh in when he just was able to start bombing late he looked like Bertans out there for a, a second um anything else you want to say on these guys before we talk about uh some of the other stats that we have to get into here with Westbrook and the Ishmael lineup no we can go there let's talk about the Ishmael lineup first uh negative 11.6 in 156 possession uh, do you want to define terms first oh well uh, yes i guess we should because not this is the public show the ish smith lineup is uh ish smith and russell westbrook playing together which you would think probably wouldn't do that well because you have two point guards who can't shoot out there and so it's named that because you kind of force all of the action into this like small narrow neck of land right around around the rim uh that group 90.4 offensive rating which obviously is like way more than 10 points per hundred worse than the that's like hawks without trey young last year level yeah somehow they've actually been great on defense with that group but i don't think that ish smith and russell westbrook together is the reason for that they've played a lot of their minutes with lopez and then in the half court when they can't get into transition 79.4 offensive rating the half court that was uh also unspeakably bad uh well and what's so frustrating about that from you know this is a me criticizing scotty brooks perspective is their wings have been better than i anticipated and so it's not like the wizards need to go to those lineups because that that's their by far their best players and that's the only way that you know like the, the issue i talked about with orlando where they had to you know they're having to play a lot of a lot of guys kind of out of position because that's all they have i think i think washington has more than that yeah and troy brown jr i mean that he had up before yesterday he had like a negative 17 net rating so you know there is some justification that lineups with him out there have not played well but obviously he's someone who is going to be a bigger part of their future than ish smith and also is a better shooter than than smith as well and probably a, a better defender also but you know, Brown Jr. has uh, spent a number of stints in Scott Brooks's doghouse over the years. They seem to have a contentious relationship with one another. Uh, you know, Russell Westbrook's season, very concerning efficiency. We'll get to that. But when he left Houston, he talked about wanting to play more as a point guard. And he is playing more similarly to how he was in Oklahoma City. I thought he has done a pretty decent job of just running the team. Like in that Brooklyn game that they won, for example, he was doing a really nice job finding Rui Hachimura on switches, ducking in. You know, that's type of the type of stuff that he was talking about where he's actually he's been a very good passer this year I, I think that is something that well he does have a hard-headedness to his game the way he's improved as a passer it's not all just because he has the ball all the time like he actually is good at getting guys the ball in the position that they needed in but uh, and so he's kind of got gone back to playing more similarly to the way he did in Oklahoma City in 2017 or sorry 2019 I should say but this is just the average Russell Westbrook game 65% free throw percentage uh on five free throw attempts per game the average game he shoots seven for 19 10 rebounds 11 assists 5.3 turnovers and they are one and six when russell westbrook plays going into last night which i think he didn't play also so uh that's not great and the shooting i mean we mentioned now he's well under 40 percent from the field he's taken only 27 shots at the rim all season where he shot poorly 16 out of 27 and he's taken two of 15 from floater and then 60 mid-rangers which he was hitting well earlier in the year but now he's down to 38 percent on those 23 three out of 60 and 30 percent from three where he's taken 29 above the break threes and made seven so he's not as good as john wall i mean that's that's very clear right now well and 
One other stat that I think is fascinating with the Wizards so far is that while if you take out the Westbrook playing with either Neto or Smith minutes, the the Wizards are about even. And I mean, so that I mean, when you consider, but but you consider the Beals out there for those minutes. But this is a crazy one. Beal has only played 300 possessions with Russell Westbrook not on the floor. This is using cleaning the glasses garbage time filter. The Wizards have a 123 offensive rating during that time. Now they also have a 123 defensive rating during that time. But I mean, this this team has. Like I mean, Beal has been has been excellent to start this year. Like that kind of gets into some of the challenges of you you add Russell Westbrook to make things Russell Westbrooky, but Bradley Beal is better than Russell Westbrook. Yeah, and we'll talk more about Beal's season at some future point. But in pick and roll so far this year, ten point six possessions per game he has finished out of pick and roll, and he is one point two one points per possession. I mean that's that's going to come down. I mean you just can't shoot that well out of pick and roll for an entire season. But that is a ton of volume out of pick and roll, and a lot of that obviously is happening with Westbrook off the floor let's finish up with Ben's team now the Detroit Pistons two and seven is their overall record 28th in net rating negative 6.8 on offense 23rd which is actually a little better than I expected them to be 107.8 on defense 26 they project for 18 wins which would be last in the Eastern Conference their playoff odds via Raptor less than one percent ELO still gives them four percent chance so don't don't lose hope yet Pistons uh, at least if you like elo so what do you want to talk about with these guys here bob yeah i mean well probably just starting with killian hayes going down and maybe just going with talking a little bit about his start since this is the first time on them he went down with that that hip injury against milwaukee and james edwards had it in the athletic that still not determined what the course of action will be there and that you know sources had told him that there was nothing structural if they went the the rehab route it might be four to six weeks but he talked to a, a doctor in that same piece maybe six to eight months if he got surgery but when he was out there played a little under 150 minutes five for 20 from three you could see he can get to that step back three which i think it co- he had been covered and other than that it was you know had to do a lot in, in floater in the kind of the floater area and just at times just kind of struggling with when he had to get pressured and that's gonna gonna kind of be a thing that might kind of hang over the start of his career here yeah I mean we noticed that back in the German league that he could struggle with pressure even bringing the ball up against some of the guards in that league not to mention NBA guards the good thing for him was that he was starting and so usually starting point guards don't pressure as much as backup point guards do because backup point guards just have more energy and they're just like that can be their raison d'etre sometimes uh the turnover rate as you mentioned you know a big part of it was that as well he turned it over on 26 percent of his possessions didn't get any rebounds either you know which for a guy his size I mean definitely only a 5.7 defensive rebound rate is not amazing uh so the idea that he could do some grab and go and stuff I mean just not really just didn't show a lot he had a negative 1.2 PR the ball didn't really go in for him from three I mean that five of 20 for three as bad as that is that was probably like the best part of his game frankly because he wasn't getting to the rim either yeah and one of the like one play he had against Boston was kind of telling just when he's coming off a screen like one a couple times in general two that also kind of ties in with the pressure point is he's got to set his guys up a little bit better but also even if he has the chance to use a screen he has to you know kind of do his part to make sure his guy might actually hit that screen and you know one play like he's on the left side of the floor coming off
off the screen going with his right hand and Jeff Teague just went under on him and Tristan Thompson just kind of stuck more to Mason Plumley, so he wasn't really gonna he wasn't really lurking back there at the rim and instead of just actually trying to turn the corner he just pulled up for for a jumper play you know played right into Teague, Teague's hands and he's kind of able to still contest it yeah so uh, I guess there might be some chance that he comes back this year if they decide to go the rehab route if the surgery and is really gonna have him out that long maybe that makes sense to at least try that first uh before and, and if that's only gonna be four to six weeks and, and he's gonna miss until the beginning of next year anyway although i guess uh, uh six to eight months is coming up against next year anyway so maybe you don't have four to six weeks to kind of play around with it but i guess we'll see what happens there so what have they been doing in hayes's absence now so it's it's gonna look looking like it's gonna be delon right in as the starter now and derrick rose still has the backup and there was a little bit of time at the very beginning there where they were having right in, in some two-point guard lineups but this this just feels more right for them to, to wow i didn't mean to mean to do that on purpose but <laughs> you know it just it, it it's uh these two point guard groups for them unless hate you know unless hayes were a part of it and really shooting the ball well I, I just don't think it really adds up for them it helps to get another shooter on the court and, the, and they have some options there so that you know that's other than that i don't know i mean should we maybe get to get to jeremy grant here the a big uh big positive for them so far yeah so what's changed to for him uh can give you the top line numbers for him briefly just uh overall per game 24.8 points a game and he's not even really doing it with unsustainable three-point shooting 36 percent from three i mean that's good and he's taking more difficult attempts and taking 7.3 three-point attempts per game so that you know that might be unsustainable for him it's way above where he's been before uh but getting to the foul line for 5.8 attempts per game where he's hitting 87 percent so far and what i was really worried about was that his two-point percentage was going to decline and yeah the jumpers off the pick and roll have not been great uh but he's been able to get to the rim and the foul line enough and then crucially he never has turned it over basically he's got a six percent turnover rate this season he only has 12 turnovers in nine games and when you consider the usage that he's had that is really really impressive as well so uh at least as of now egg on all of our faces who thought that this was a ridiculous signing and looks like troy weaver may have found something here in the 26 year old grant caveats of course that it's very early yeah and this was the on the nba play tracking at least it he's at 25 points on his 21 isos so far which is a is a number you you would definitely like if that's going to be the uh, across the entire season and some of the ways they're using him it's it's been pretty fun like they'll run him off some screens across the baseline he can catch it look to drive go into his right hand and in general they'll run that double screen away for a guy in the corner pretty often as a team but and quite a few of these plays were late in their win against phoenix where, where he was really impressive but as a wrinkle out of that too you know grant we've seen him coming off that screen or if he's one of the screeners and then popping out looking to get to the rim but then one thing they threw up phoenix late too was after that screen away they would bring him to the ball and then he would kind of slip out kind of to the right slot area and he'd just look to size up quickly and go so he scored out of that a couple times yeah i i like that because you know he still is not an incredibly advanced ball handler and his decision maker so if you can kind of get him on the move in space as they used to say with like you know reggie bush and football or something uh where he can use his athletic advantages i i like that design yeah because most of it for him when he's going to the basket it's even when it's more of a stand 
stand still, you know, he can quickly go between the legs and maybe freeze the guy a little bit. But also there's the element too, where if he, you know, guys will, I'm sure at some point, maybe force him even more to, to kind of prove it shooting off the dribble. But going back to the Phoenix game too, you know, there was one, he, he took, he got to the rim early and then Jay Crowder played off him the second time and he hit the three given the cushion. So that's, that, that's the kind of shot you want to put in people's heads too. Anything that strikes you as not being sustainable from him? You know, since it's not, you already kind of pointed out that it's not like he's shooting like 40%, 42% from three right now. You know, he, ha- he has ta- he has tossed in some pretty tough floaters as part of his scoring that isn't all the way at the rim. So I kind of wonder how, how much that might continue. But his ability, like getting to the rim, at least to, to be able to extend, we have, he does have a few, had a few nice drives going to his left hand too. It hasn't totally been all right hand. So just if people maybe try to force him to into a few more two-point jumpers and and maybe kind of wall off some of those drives a little bit better that might that might just be the only one the only thing that really stands out yeah i mean one nice thing for him too is now uh, again it's not good for the franchise in the long term that killian hayes is injured but not having to play with him and having right out there who have they been starting at the two now with hayes out and right having moved from the two to the one so jo- josh jackson just came back he he tweaked his ankle leaving one of the boston games missed missed their milwaukee games and just came back so that's what we saw against phoenix but then they also did they did close that phoenix game with sadiq bay at the two so i would think the jackson you know that jackson is the thing for to, to continue with them and bay being the main wing for them off the bench to really to really give them some shooting and there's still plenty of minutes to go around for him yeah it's, it's interesting you know uh, they've uh, and then you know what's going to happen with blake griffin as well is maybe a, another question that we'll probably have to get into uh on a later show um but yeah you would think with a little bit more point guard play that that could could help grant and we'll see whether you know is it going to be jackson is it going to be bay at the two would they move grant up to the four in games that griffin isn't available and maybe play svi michaeliuk or wayne ellington uh speeds had a tough start to the year shooting it but you would hope that he would come around uh you know there'll be some interesting options here for Dwayne casey let's talk a little bit about sadiq bay though to wrap up uh, another guy who's really been outperforming what people thought he would be doing at this point in time 19th overall pick recall that they traded luke Kennard and a bunch of second rounders to the clippers to get that 19th overall pick and rodney magruder i think uh they ended up folding the bruce brown trade into that as well though i don't think it really is fair to say that they traded brown for that 19th pick it seemed like that clippers transaction kind of agreed to on its own so how has bay looked so far he looks good i mean they they really need the shooting he's at like 45 percent right now around six attempts per game it, it has been you know mostly the three-point shooting though for him in terms of his offense you're not doing very much inside the arc but he does he has a few plays like where you wonder like he had one against phoenix catching kind of in the corner and just back down cam johnson and scored on him easily so there are a couple of plays like that so may, maybe where at least if he if a smaller guy ends up on him to just be able to do something in that way would be nice but the the three-point shooting like coming off that that double screen we've seen him hit there hit one off the dribble when his guy went under the the sidestep three getting a guy in the air closing out on him even like the a pass fake or even looked he kind of froze a guy with his eyes to to set up his own three so seems to really you know have a good understanding how to play and he's letting it fly and and shots are going in and and it's really it's it's really giving them what they need around around grant and griffin when he's out there so 
check out these numbers 21 out of 46 from three that's pretty good he's taken two-thirds of his shots from there 46 percent and that's been really awesome I, I i've been because he kind of shoots this low ball out in front of his head i didn't think his three-pointer would have the versatility or the effectiveness so far that it has even though he was a, a very i think it was 40 percent from three in college uh you know the, those weren't these kind of on the move attempts that obviously that's not the nba he's also 22 percent from two five out of 23 and he has very very little explosion i agree with you like he'll kind of almost do these drives that really almost just turn into post-ups because he's not getting by the guy uh right. and uh no he is very very ground bound has struggled to finish around the rim which isn't the end of the world and you know his athleticism he's capable of moving his feet on the other end even if he can't really get off the ground at all uh, so i i'm interested to see where it goes uh for bay from here whether this shooting is sustainable whether this volume is sustainable and if he can just at least find a way to be a little bit more efficient from two if they do play him at the two as you mentioned to close the other day uh that might allow him to have a little more of a size advantage but they don't have a ton of shooting on this team to facilitate him posting up either but uh obviously still a a good start for him you just wonder if the shooting falls off then you know he may not have a country offensively for a little bit here so uh but uh no no reason to uh rain on his parade as of now for the 19th pick to get effective play uh you got to be happy at this point in time so yeah we some quick hitters here Derek rose having a pretty rough start to the season looks like yeah and and against he's shooting 44 percent at the rim right now and not has been very efficient out of pick and roll and mostly it's because just he hasn't been very effective at the rim and i think uh, opponents might latch onto that if that continues their you know some drives where he's really kind of revved up a little bit more to really go into the guy and then isaiah stewart who's playing as the backup center he's at a couple plays where he's able to to kind of fly in there and clean up on the offensive glass but i would think just teams aren't gonna you know some teams it's just kind of more their mo to, to suck in a little bit just by default but i would think and we've seen it in some of their games where if teams can just play him two on two in the pick and roll because part of the problem too is Plumlee just isn't an incredible partner for him like he isn't really available for a pass a lot of these times rolling to the basket yet by the time Rose is looking to do something so it, it would also just help a lot if if he was playing with a guy that could pop for three yeah and Rose I mean 30 percent usage 49 percent true shooting he is setting guys up to be sure but it, the sixth man of the year candidate that we saw before is uh not in the building so far this year and this is his age 32 season you know you'd expect to see some drop off there to be sure and the pistons didn't trade rose last year because they wanted a lottery pick obviously that was the pre-weaver regime but they should have just taken what they could have got i think for him i i mean the the hilarity was that rose was actually still better than killian hayes was but you would and rose is still kind of closing some games and he can create shots and maybe he'll start making more at the rim you know the spacing of this team has been better than expected but still not amazing uh I don't know though he does not look like he has the level of explosion that he needs to finish at the rim regularly and if that part of his game is gone then it might kind of be curtains for him all right well this was fun please join us for philadelphia and atlanta on monday night reminder there danny and i will be calling that one for nba league pass and of course subscribe to dunked on prime if you haven't already you can get this episode ad free plus our at least four other episodes touch y'all next week or tomorrow till then at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.